This is Young Lawyer Rising from the ABA Young Lawyers Division and Legal Talk Network. I'm your new host, Montana Funk. Before we begin, I'd like to say thank you to our previous host, Sonia Russo. Today, I'm talking with Dave Scriven-Young, an attorney with Picard and Abramson, specializing in business, construction, and environmental litigation. Dave is also the host of Litigation Radio Podcast. Dave and I will discuss the importance of goal setting, tools to help reach those goals, and how to gain confidence as a young professional. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Good morning, Dave. Hi, Montana. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Of course. I made my home many years ago in the Young Lawyers Division. Um, I was a committee director and speaker of the assembly, so really happy to uh, help out the YLD today. Well, I appreciate that. I'm I'm pretty new to the whole podcasting world and everything, so it's kind of nice to have a vet deal with the rookie today, so thanks. Oh, of course. I know you're going to do great. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, I'll start off simple for you. Can you just, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a lawyer, a podcast host, you know, how you got here today? Sure. Happy to do that. So I graduated law school from DePaul University in Chicago. Um, I knew I wanted to practice in Chicago, so that's where I went to law school. And then I was able to uh, do a couple of great things, Uh, worked at a couple of really large firms in the city of Chicago, practicing primarily environmental law, but a little bit of commercial litigation. Um, And now I'm at a a mid-sized firm, Picard and Abramson, which is nationally known, really internationally known as a construction law firm. So we We do a lot of work for general contractors, and I still do some environmental work, but as as you mentioned, I also do construction litigation, commercial litigation, a little bit of employment law. Whatever our clients need in Chicago, uh, we help provide those services. Well, that's awesome. And, And, you know, I think what's really important for a lot of our listeners today is you know, helping them choose the area of law they want to practice in. And, you know, that can kind of go twofold, whether or not the geographic region they want to practice in, because I think that that can change depending where you are in terms of how you practice or in general choosing a topic. You know, a lot of people start off practicing something. For example, I started with civil litigation and now I'm doing criminal defense. So do you have any advice for individuals, you know, in terms of how they can go ahead and pick that initial practice area? Sure. And what I would say is when I came into law school, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do and what I wanted to practice. I was pretty sure I did not want to do criminal law, but after that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so basically, my practice area got chosen for me in a a respect where I did this uh, summer associate position at at a big law firm um, my second year of law school summer. And they basically you do a lot of different things. I did some commercial litigation. I did some contract review. I did some environmental. And then at the end of the summer, they asked me to pick, you know, to rank different departments. I think environmental was up there, but that's where I ultimately got into uh, the firm and got an offer with their environmental practice group. And so that's basically how my career in environmental law started, even though I had not taken environmental law class, didn't really have a technical background, but I learned on my feet. And so there's really, I guess, a couple of ways to do it is, number one, you can choose the 
actual subject area you want to practice, or you can choose the law firm where you want to practice, where you think you fit in culturally and that your values align. And then where they have an opening is where you're going to start in terms of practice area. The one thing I can tell you is with environmental law, a lot of people want to get into that practice area because they feel like they can make a huge impact in the world by practicing environmental law. And certainly you can do that either on the defense side or on the plaintiff side. But the thing is, in the Midwest especially, there is a lot of room to grow in terms of environmental, but not as much as what they have on the coast. So if you practice in California, you practice in D.C., there's a lot more activity, especially on the government regulatory side, than you'll find in the Midwest. So a lot of people come to me and they ask, well, how do I break into environmental law? Because it's such a sort of niche practice. It's a small group of attorneys that practice in the Midwest. And what I tell them is, certainly if you have the grades to get into big law firm, go for it, right? But then what I also tell them is, if you don't and you don't get that offer from a big law firm, that's okay. Because number one, there are a few smaller firms that practice environmental law. But also, a good way to go about it is focus on a practice that is tangential or ancillary, if you will. So something like construction, for example, where there are environmental issues, and you might have a client where they'll have an environmental issue, and you'll be able to work on that problem. If you let your partners know that, hey, I'm interested in environmental law. If you ever have a client that has an environmental issue, I'd love to work on that with you. It's a great way to kind of get your feet wet in that practice area. And then once you get that experience, then you could possibly move to a law firm that has more of an environmental platform, or you can build your own environmental practice at the firm that you're at. No, I think that it's a really good point that you kind of have to start off where, you know, you see fit or if you're going to a big law firm where they place you. But that being said, a lot of the time I find that when you start practicing in an area that maybe you're not familiar with, you actually realize just how interested in that area you are. So, you know, if you have someone who let's like you said, wants to practice environmental law and approaching that partner or that mentor and saying, hey, can I jump on this case with you or get involved? How would you suggest to listeners that they approach maybe those mentors or those partners who have those practice areas that they're interested in and they want to get involved in, you know, how would you suggest that they go to those partners and say, Hey, I want to be involved in this. Or if they're nervous about approaching the person that's above them, but they want to work with them, you know, is there any advice you have for how you can get involved in those new practice areas when it does mean approaching a mentor or a supervisor, someone who's a little bit higher up in their role? Well, what I would suggest is that you know a little bit about what the practice area is about. So if you want to practice environmental law, you're going to want to follow the news. You're going to want to follow cases that that come out. You're going to want to demonstrate an interest in that practice area. And you're going to demonstrate that interest by knowing something about that practice area coming in. And then once you kind of develop that content knowledge, if you will, certainly going to a partner in your firm, your mentor, and letting them know, you know, I've been reading a lot about this practice area. I think it's an up-and-coming practice area. It's something that I would love to help out with and develop within the firm. Um, if you ever have a client that has this issue, I'd you know love to, to work on that case with you. That's a great way to do it. The other thing that I would say is having a mentor is so important at a law firm and not necessarily just the mentor that you're assigned to at your firm because 
sometimes those people really don't have the time or the interest to actually, you know, work with you, or you may not actually align personally. And so you really want to find someone who is going to tell you kind of the straight story about what's going on with the firm, but who's also going to help you to find the opportunities that you want and to reach the goals that you set for yourself professionally. No, that's a great point. And I think something that, you know, might be a little bit nerve wracking to to young professionals, young lawyers is, like you said, a lot of the times mentors, maybe they just don't necessarily have the time or personalities don't mix and that's totally fine. Do you think that there's a certain way that that needs to be addressed in terms of if a young lawyer wants to find a new mentor without stepping on toes, you know, to help them reach their goals, how they can approach that without, you know, kind of going over, I guess, the heads of their other mentors. I do think that it's really important to have a mentor who's there for you, you know, the whole time, who brings you in on things, who can kind of put you in on the inner firm workings, et cetera, especially when you want to grow as a young attorney. So is there any advice that you would have to, you know, make sure you're finding the mentor that's right for you? Well, I think it's important that you think about a team of folks surrounding you and supporting you than maybe just one person. Uh, because as you said, you know, people get busy, even a, a mentor who really wants to help you, if they're really busy on a case and you have an issue that crops up and they don't have time for you, then then what are you going to do? Um, mm-hmm. You have to have sort of a group of people who are going to support you. So, you know, I've been a mentor to several people and I certainly don't consider it a protected relationship when what I mean by that is I'm not going to be mad if if you know my mentee goes and asks a question of somebody else um, certainly I, I'm happy as a mentor I don't think I have all of the answers um, and I think most people you know feel that way if you can get that information from another person they probably know better anyway so I think as a mentee having several mentors having a lot of people around you to answer questions to give you advice that's really key professionally no that's that's really insightful and I appreciate that, Dave. I think that that's really helpful advice to young lawyers. And the team aspect of it is something I think can be overlooked a lot, you know, that you have a group of people to support you rather than you don't need to have just the one individual because people are busy and one person might not be able to always, you know, be there in the way that you need. But having that team of people you can rely on in your workplace is so important. So that's a really good point. Before we move on, we're going to take a quick break. It can be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. Alps designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as 10 minutes. Alps is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier, so they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is, and that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A-L-P-S insurance.com. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C. And get $500 off with code HAPPY24. 
And listeners, we are back. Before the break, we were talking about mentorship and goals. Dave, you had mentioned earlier, you know, to reach your goals, it's important to have a good mentor. What do you think are some goals that young professionals, young lawyers should be setting, you know, should be looking to accomplish in their career early on? Well, let me talk about first why it's important to have goals, because I don't think people, at least when I was a young lawyer, I didn't really understand the, the need you know, for goals professionally, because I think young lawyers have a couple of, of similar problems. One is kind of a fear of mistakes, which causes, it caused me anyway, to not be aggressive or to take kind of my future in my hands. And it's because I didn't want to ruin my future, which is kind of counterintuitive, right? And then the other part is, you know, I think sometimes we put our careers on autopilot. So, you know, maybe we reach the pinnacle of success of, or, or what we thought was the pinnacle of success when we were, you know, little kids. You know, we graduated from law school, we did well, we got a good job, and we think we're all set, you know, financially and in our careers. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is at that point, your career is just starting. You're not all set. And we have to remember that the law is a profession and a business. And law firms have a lot of different concerns, economic concerns. Clients are looking for firms to be affordable, economical, efficient, accountable. There's all sorts of alternative sources of legal assistance, uh, like LegalZoom, outsourced legal research, limited scope representation. You know, clients are asking to have fees reduced. And then all of those changes, and you combine that with student debt, it really leads to a lot of stress in our profession. A lot of, you know, we have an above average incidence of depression, substance abuse, other psychological distress. And so what we do is when we play defensively, it's not great because then we just sit in our office, we put our heads down and we build time. And that's really only going to take you so far. And playing defensively also causes you to hide your stress instead of getting the help that you need. And so that just, you know, multiplies the problem. So young professionals, they do need to build time for sure. But you also have to go on the offense, which is where goals come in. If you have a goal, you're working towards something, not just sitting back and playing it safe. So, you know, my opinion is you really need to have goals in every area of your life that's a priority for you, whether that's your career, financial, relationship, spiritual, whatever that is. Don't just let life happen to you. Decide what you want to have happen and go for it. So an example of a career goal. So you want to have an overall career goal. So whether that's, you know, maybe you want to make partner at a firm or become GC of your company, or you might not know exactly what you want if you want to stay, you know, where you are at your firm, but you want to figure out what that goal is. And it maybe it's not a career status goal, or maybe it's just you want to be the best trial lawyer in your region. So what does that mean in terms of, you know, your, the skills that you want to develop, your writing skills, your trial skills, oral argument skills? You might want to think about what your financial goals are. Do you want to retire early? Do you want to work until you're dead but give away a lot of your money? Do you want to have lots of money for traveling? So you want to set a goal for savings, for retirement, and then you figure out how does my employer's compensation plan get me there? So do they have a bonus structure where if I work a certain number of hours, I can make a bonus? So what you really want to do is write down your goals. A lot of people recommend that. It's something that I do. And then set annual, quarterly, weekly, and daily targets in terms of how many hours do I want to bill? How many people do I want to meet? And that's a great way uh, as a first step to try to reach your goals. So I think too, going back to the teamwork aspect, 
when reaching these goals, I think a lot of people maybe would shy away from seeking help or going to their mentors or their team to, you know, utilize them to help reach their goals. Do you think that it's important to make sure you're reaching out to those people, you know, to assist you in reaching those goals? Do you think it's more of a individual journey or how would you utilize people around you in your workplace to actually be hitting those goals? Right. It, it certainly is not an individual journey, although sometimes it feels like it. But as a young lawyer, I didn't know much about being a professional, certainly didn't know much about law firms when I was a young lawyer. Um, I didn't know how to navigate a firm, didn't know how to make partner, so many things that I didn't know. So I really needed people around me who I trusted and, like I said before, who will really tell you the true story of how to succeed. So does your firm require a lot of face time? Which partners have the power that you need to develop relationships with? How do you develop clients at your firms? All of those things are really important to find out, and you're not going to just come up with those answers on your own. You're really going to find out those answers through talking to your colleagues, your friends, your mentors at the firm or company or government agency that you're at. You're really going to have to find out those answers by talking to the people that you trust. And how do you overcome or you know, what would advice would you have to individuals who are nervous to approach those mentors to help reach their goals? Because fear of you know, being too aggressive, had, like you had mentioned earlier, or fear of their fellow colleagues who are around the same age thinking that you know, they're a teacher's pet, to use you know, lack of a better word. How would you recommend that people overcome that fear of, you know, I don't want to come off so strong, but I still want this help, but I also don't want to look like I'm you know, stepping on people's toes or being too aggressive? Well, I, I would say two things. Number one, you have to be a little self-aware because, again, there's so many things that you don't know and you're not going to come up with the answers on your own. And your professional success depends on knowing some of those answers to your questions, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't know how to make partner at your firm, you need to ask, you need to find out. And the other thing I would say is, from my experience, people want you to reach out and ask them. And at a firm or, you know, unless you're you know, office is very small, whatever environment you're practicing in, you're going to find people, at least one person that you align with kind of personally and professionally, people that are not necessarily intimidating. So I'm not recommending that you, as a first step, go talk to the managing partner of your office. I wouldn't do that, especially if that person is intimidating to you. Start lower. Start with a friend of yours within the firm maybe who is around the same age. Talk to a partner that you are getting assignments from that is not intimidating to you. Start as a baby step. Talk to those to those people. If they don't have the answers, then find out from them, hey, who are some other people that I should be talking to that I should have lunch with, that I should get to know, that have the answers to the questions that I'm looking for? Because, you know, I think... Young lawyers have a perception that partners and you know supervisors don't want to succeed, and I think it's the exact opposite. They want you to be good lawyers. They want you to succeed at their firm because they've already, you know, especially if you did a summer associate position or you were recruited at a firm or, or even if you did on-campus interviewing or any interview, they've already invested a lot of time into your growth as a lawyer. They hired you they trained you, they want you to do well. And if there are questions that you have that are 
obstacles to keeping you from succeeding at your place of work, they want you to have the answers to those questions. Now, when you have the conversation, is it always going to be easy? No. Are the conversations going to be, you know, abrupt sometimes? Sure, depending on the partner. But it's really, they want you to have the answers to those questions. And you, as a professional, as someone who wants to succeed, wants to get answers to those questions. So that's how I would approach it. And I think it's super helpful hearing from you as a mentor yourself about these things. I think a lot of the stuff that you've been saying, you know, how you as mentors want to see people succeed might be overlooked by the young attorneys who are just so focused on how they approach that partner, what they're going to say. So it's good to be reminded that it is important also for the mentors and the partners, supervisors in these firms to see the younger attorneys succeed and reach their goals as well. So that's a super good point. I think a lot of people probably overlook Hey listeners, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the American Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division. Starting a new career in the law can feel overwhelming. The ABA YLD provides resources, CLE, and a network of peers from coast to coast to help you settle into your new legal career. Claim your Young Lawyer membership for just $75 at ambar.org join. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. Dave, before the break, we were talking about how to approach your mentors to reach your goals and, you know, use everyone in your workplace as a team to, you know, hit those goals, just not only individually, but as a firm in general or as a team as a whole. And I think something that's important to a lot of people is having that team there is a huge thing for support to help, you know, the firm develop, to help individuals develop. But how would you advise, you know, young attorneys who are going into these new firms with maybe a class of other associates who want to stand out, who want to, you know, be seen in that workplace to want to help the firm advance? How would you advise that those individuals stand out amongst, you know, a group of attorneys that are all probably similar levels, similar practice areas, et cetera? Well, I think there are two things that I would say. Number one is that you have to be the best lawyer that you can be. And what I mean by that is you have to think about from the perspective of your assigning attorney what they want out of you. They, of course, want you to work hard. And they also want you to produce good work. But I think perhaps the most important thing that I think partners look for in associates is that you're dependable, that if you say you're going to do something, that you're going to do it, that you're going to do it well, that you're going to do it on time, that if you have questions, you're going to ask them, that you're really going to sort of like develop that sort of professional relationship with the assigning attorney, that they can rely on you when they need things, that you're available if they have an emergency or they're available to give you work. So that dependability, I think, is really the most important thing that 
assigning partners, supervisors look for in young lawyers. The other thing that I would say is, so that's kind of on the internal side. You want to be able to stand out, right? And the way to do that is to make yourself an authority in a particular subject area. So how do you do that? As I mentioned, you know, for somebody who wants to get into a practice area, the important thing is to be very knowledgeable about it, to read, to listen to podcasts, to listen to the news, for example, read Law 360 articles and that sort of thing. But you become an authority in that subject area by producing content. So you can do things like write articles, blog posts, going on podcasts, etc., becoming a leader sort of in that area. And that's really important because it takes a really long time to become a leader, to become authority on a, on a particular practice area. And starting small, starting when you're young, is a great way to do that. So you might start by telling a partner that you have a particular article or an idea for an article, right? Would you be willing to help me write that article? I'll do all of the research. I'll do the initial draft of the article. If I do that, can you help me get that published? Or can we get that, for example, on the law firm's website, right? And so making yourself known in a particular practice area, no matter if you're practicing in that area or not, if it's something that you want to get into, it's a great thing to do. You know, an example of that, a friend of mine who was an environmental lawyer knew that cannabis law, for example, was something that she wanted to get into because she knew it was an up-and-coming practice area, was really interested in it, knew that her firm could develop a client base for that practice area. She got really knowledgeable about it. She read a lot. Um, she wrote a lot about it. And she's now you know, an authority in the area. And it's something that has really helped her within her firm. So there's a lot of ways to kind of stand out. But the important thing is to be the best lawyer you can and then be an expert and authority on a particular subject area. Yeah, that's also something that I think a lot of people probably don't consider is really becoming that expert in that area, you know, looking at all those resources that you just gave to really develop their understanding of an area so that when they approach partners, approach fellow associates, they really know what they're talking about. And I think kind of taking a step back and, you know, this is the last question that I have for you today, but I think that will round nicely together. Everything we've talked about is in order to reach all these goals, you know, be that authoritative figure, approach partners, become an expert in your area. Everything we've talked about today, you definitely need to have confidence in yourself as a young attorney, a young professional starting off. So if you wouldn't mind just wrapping up for the listeners, how you think someone can build that confidence or any advice you have for individuals just starting out to help them become confident in themselves that they can reach those goals, that they can become the individual, the lawyer that they want to be in their career. Well, the only way to build confidence is to Practice something over and over and over again until you get good at it, right? And so that's why they call it law practice, right? They don't say it's a law job. It's law practice because we're all building our confidence and our practice and our experience as we go along. But other ways to do it is to try a lot of things outside of your comfort zone. So you can do small pro bono trials. You can become a leader within a bar association. You could run for office. You could do a lot of different things that kind of expand that comfort zone and it builds your confidence for the unexpected. The other thing that I would say is 
I'm a big proponent of emotional intelligence. It's basically the ability to identify and manage your own emotions as well as the emotions of others. And there's a great resource out there called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's a book and it identifies a couple of emotional intelligence skills. And what it really does is you take this test and it helps you to identify some of the areas where you're weak. So for me, for example, managing kind of my own stress levels was a big weakness for me. And so the book gives a lot of tips on how to do that. And one of those tips was to was a very simple suggestion, which was to put a mental recharge into my schedule. So take a little bit of physical activity throughout the day, because that is is really what helps you to keep your body healthy, but it also gives your mind like an important break. And so you rest and recharge. And one way that I did that is I just incorporated a walk in the afternoon, which seems like such a small thing, but it it really does help to break up. It helps me to break up my day and it really gives me kind of that recharge for my body and for my brain. And so why is that helpful? Why is it helpful to manage your stress? And maybe, maybe this is an obvious point, but when you have somebody who is you have a bully opponent in a deposition, for example, or if you have something that doesn't you know, go your way, you're really able to then kind of go to your place where you're a little more peaceful, a little more calm, and that bully opponent doesn't kind of put you over the edge, right? You're able to kind of manage your own emotions and stay within the zone and do what you need to do in that deposition, as opposed to letting you know your opponent take you off your game. So I would really really encourage folks to get uh, knowledgeable about emotional intelligence and to find out what are the areas where you need help. And the book gives you a lot of suggestions. And there are, of course, a lot of outside resources in order to do that. I think I'm going to have to put that into my daily schedule. I like the idea of a a little break, a little walk, maybe not in the dead of winter, but I might have to start utilizing that here in summer. (laughs) Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been extremely helpful. Your advice has been great. If our listeners want to reach out to you, how else can they find you? Well, uh, of course, my firm's website, which is www.peklaw.com. And of course, I'm the host of Litigation Radio, sponsored by the ABA litigation section. So check me out there. We have a lot of great interviews with judges, practicing uh, litigators, and really to help you become a better lawyer. Actually, we do a lot of very substantive topics as well as some quote-unquote soft skills topics. One of our most popular episodes is an episode where we talk to a judge about finding your purpose in the law. And so we talk about things that are not only kind of day-to-day practice tips, but also things to make your life better as well. So check us out, Litigation Radio. Well, thank you again, Dave. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a good rest of your day. You too, Montana. Thanks. Coming up, our good friend Julie Moreau joins us to talk about pop law. Thank you, Montana. Welcome. You are listening to Pop Law, where pop culture meets the law. I'm your host, Julie Marrow. So football season is back. College sports are back. And for the second year in a row, America's college athletes have entered the fall sports season with no guidance and few regulations regarding name image likeness deals. If you're not familiar with NIL, you should be. It's the legal concept of your right to publicity, essentially. And if you follow sports at all, I'm sure you've heard that college athletes now can make money off these deals just how professional ones can, which 
Sounds nice, but um, it's getting a little out of hand quickly. You've got Texas's quarterback projected for a $1. million in deals this year, $1.4 for USC's quarterback, over $2 million for Spencer Rattler. But then you have some funny deals too. You've got the Pet Smart NCAA dog deal for Trey Knox. You have BYU giving walk-ons and IL deals and organizing potential scholarships for these athletes. And if you remember Doug from March Madness last year, he's got a mad deal with Buffalo Wild Wings. He's the one with the stash and the hair. But basically, for a long time, we talked about this, that, you know, college athletes, these universities, athletic departments make so much money off of them. And let's you know have them compensated just how professionals are. If your name, your image, your likeness has some monetary value to it, you should be able to capitalize off of that, which sounds nice. But there are no rules. We have no regulations, hardly, except the NCAA has said that uh, you can't use these collectives and shell corporations that donors were forming in order to filter money to recruits, which I think we all knew that was a rule. But the NIL deals quickly turned into recruiting tools and not just compensation tools for athletes while they are on campus. And There have been calls for federal regulations, for rules from a couple of our senators in Washington are working on a set of rules. They're working with the Southeastern Conference and trying to develop ways that athletes can be compensated, but without getting into some of this antitrust chaos and um, a lot of just turmoil and tax ramifications and issues that were never the goal for athletes to have to deal with these things. So that's all for today. Fall is back and IL is still here and lots to watch. Be sure to stay tuned. Back to you, Montana. Thank you, Julie. That was a great segment. Well, listeners, that's our show. I want to thank Dave Scriven-Young for joining us today. His advice and perspectives have been extremely helpful. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please recommend our show to a friend. We can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Until next time, I'm Montana Funk, and you've been listening to Young Lawyer Rising brought to you by the ABA Young Lawyers Division and the audio professionals at Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.